Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Summer can be the perfect time to unwind with a good book, and it's a great time for us to launch an occasional series where we'll dive into books about Florida and by Floridians. We'll start by talking with two people who are well-versed in the literary scene here. Later in the show, we'll meet with Alsace Wellentine, co-owner of Tombolo Books in St. Petersburg. Wellentine has a stack of books she says are sure to be popular with customers this summer, and we'll talk to her about how business is going at the bookshop after two years of the pandemic. First, though, a conversation with Colette Bancroft. She's the copy desk chief and book editor at the Tampa Bay Times, where she writes reviews, interviews authors, and helps direct the annual Times Festival of Reading. Bancroft says Florida is celebrated for its crime novelists, but there's much more to discover about the Sunshine State's literary scene. Colette, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for asking. If you were to introduce somebody to Florida's literary scene, where would you start and who would you recommend in the way of authors? Well, for starters, the Florida authors that more people are familiar with than any others are crime fiction writers. There's just a lot of material here. And for a single author who's a a good introduction to Florida and a wonderful writer, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Carl Hyacin. In terms of literary, more literary fiction, we have a lot of of writers. Lauren Groff has um, made a real impact with her short story collection called Florida. But probably my favorite literary novel about Florida is Peter Matheson's Shadow Country. But there are, you know, I'm I'm picking a couple from among thousands. Right, yeah, it's a pretty vast panoply of options there. And you mentioned crime fiction. That's the thing. Like when I think of Florida's literary identity, and I'm not originally from Florida, so my experience of Florida writing was first from a very long way away, like I was reading it as a complete outsider, I do think of offbeat crime fiction. I wanted to just quote something from a review of a book that you did a couple uh, months back. It was a a reboot, I think, of Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe character, and, and you wrote about his influence on crime fiction. Here's the quote. Chandler influenced me too. I first read him while I was a college English major, and despite being knee-deep in Chaucer and Joyce, I had a conversion experience that lives on in my abiding love for the mystery novel. So... I wanted to ask you, where does Florida noir, Florida crime fiction, fit into the continuum of of crime writing, do you think? I think it's a prolific field for for Florida writers because there is so much material. People have called it sunshine noir or, you know, people doing shady things in the sunshine. Um, and, And I think that's accurate because Florida is such a weird combination of uh, a place of people's dreams and a place where those dreamers are taken advantage of. And I think, well, Chandler's California, you know, is is very much like that, and, um, and Florida is too. What are some of the other genres where you find Florida writers really making their mark? And I wonder, too, if, if we can kind of expand a bit on that and talk about books for children and young adult readers as well. 
there there are a lot of young adult writers and children's writers in Florida. It's a field I'm not as expert in. Uh, I tend to write more about books for adults, but there are certainly many, many, many of them. And the thing that strikes me when I look at the YA and kids books that are published by Florida authors, and of course I get many of them, I'm sent books and I get uh, news releases about them, is that they're marked by uh, diversity. Many YA and, and children's authors in Florida are writing about minority characters and minority experiences And I think that's because Florida is such a diverse state, and those authors are diverse. There are a lot of minority authors being published in that that field in particular in Florida. That's interesting, too. If there's such a a kind of a diversity of of voices and authors in the children's fiction sphere or or children's writing, then I imagine from the reader's point of view, that's going to create a new generation of readers who are looking for a wider cast of, of authors when it comes to their kind of more grown-up reading habits, I expect. I think so. Um, I think it opens doors uh, for kids as readers, and, and that's a wonderful thing. The more kids read, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the Florida authors who you've reviewed recently. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the books you reviewed is uh, David Sanchez's debut novel, All Day is a Long Time. Mm-hmm. It's about addiction. Just Tell us a little bit about this author and this book. He grew up in Tampa, and much of the book is set in Tampa. And it's, uh, from what I understand, a pretty autobiographical novel. It probably could have been easily adjusted into memoir, I think, Mm -hmm. but he, he decided to write a novel instead. And it's about his journey into addiction and out of it again. And he's not a He's a character who starts out from a fairly happy or good childhood, from an intact family. Um, he's not; he doesn't grow up in poverty or anything like that. So it upends some of the stereotypes people might have about addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's nothing in the book that's sort of an easy answer to. Oh well, this is what made me an addict. He describes it as a much more complicated process than that, and it's a pretty harrowing book. I mean. Terrible things happen to him, and he does terrible things. But it's also an interesting book, and it's very well written. I mean, he's, his prose is, is well-crafted. And it's coming at a, you know, it's a, it's an opportune time, or a, it's, it's hitting at a moment when, you know, there are so many headlines about addiction mm-hmm. in Florida and elsewhere in the country too, right? Yes. So there's, there's an audience. Yeah, I think people want, want to understand how it happens, what can be done about it. And this is, I mean, it's a novel. It's not a know, how-to book at all. But yeah, I think people want to have a better handle on it because it has blown up into such a huge problem. There's also Lauren Groff. Uh, She lives in Gainesville. She's Mm -hmm. author of the collection Florida and the new novel Matrix. Tell us a bit about this. She's one of my, really my favorite writers. And one thing I like about her is each of her books is very different from all of the others. Um, some authors have a groove and, you know, their books have, a, a, you know, shared qualities. Lauren always has something new. And she went from Florida, which is this collection of kind of dark, humorous, but also dark short stories, many of them set in Florida, to Matrix, which is a historical novel based on a real person 
there's not much known about her, but uh, Marie de France, who was a poet and the uh, a nun in the 12th century. Before she was sent off to live in a convent, she was in the court of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And that might not sound like gripping material to a lot of people, but Groff does wonderful things with it. And it becomes a book about the friendships between women, the bonds between women, women's strengths. There's a battle scene where the nuns win. And it's just a surprising book. And I love surprising books. Who are some of the other, like, sort of Tampa Bay authors that that you like to read and, and that people outside of the Tampa Bay region may not know about, or they may know, but they may not just kind of know the connections to the, the Tampa Bay region? She's pretty well known and sells a lot of books, but uh, people might not know she lives here because she doesn't write about this area very often, but Lisa Unger, who writes kind of psychological thrillers, and she's really good at that. Um, her last one was Confessions on the 745, and that's in development as a TV series. And uh, she has one coming out this fall called Secluded Cabin Sleep Six. <laughs> and I asked her, I hope this isn't based on a real vacation of yours. And she said, oh, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> Sounds a bit creepy. And it, yes, exactly. It will be. If, it's, if Lisa wrote it, it'll be creepy. And uh, an author who doesn't almost never writes about Florida but who lives here a good part of the time and who grew up in Florida is Michael Connolly. And, of course, he's hardly unknown. He's one of the best-selling authors in the world. But, uh, but he spends a lot of time here, and once in a while he writes something mm-hmm. set in the Tampa Bay area. But his, his books are pretty firmly rooted in Los Angeles. I wonder what's on your summer reading list. Like, What are you looking forward to cracking open and getting into this summer? I'm going to be reading uh, very soon. Well, I've actually started reading it already. Erin Kimmerly's book, uh, We Carry Their Bones. And she's the USF archaeologist who excavated the site at the Dozier School for Boys. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very interested in that. I just finished a book about that's by someone who is from here, who grew up here. He doesn't live here anymore. He lives in New York. But he grew up in Clearwater, uh, and his name's Elliot Schreffer. Mm-hmm. And he is a, a mostly a children and, children's and YA authors. He's been a National Book Award finalist for one of the books he did in a series about primates and primate conservation, gorillas and bonobos and chimpanzees and uh, orangutans. Anyway, he's, he's really good. And he has a new book out called Queer Ducks, and mm-hmm. it's a nonfiction book for teenagers about sexual behavior in animals, which is a much wider range of behaviors uh, than most people think. It's very well researched, but it's also very funny. So, uh, so that's been interesting. I can imagine a book like that might be controversial oh, in some yeah. circles, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. That makes me think, though. I wonder what your perspective is as somebody who's steeped in books and you know, you, you live and breathe this stuff. What do you make of the kind of controversy over this notion of, of restricting what people can mm. read in schools and, and yeah. banning books? It's a must be a bit of a strange experience. It is. If you look at history, people who ban books never turn out to be the good guys. I think parents and choosing the books their children read, I think that parents 
do have a right to, to monitor and choose what their own children read. I don't think parents have a right to tell other people's children what to read. I was an incredibly wide-ranging reader as a child. I read everything in the library, whether it was a kid's book or an adult's book or, you know, an encyclopedia of horses. I mean, I read everything. And when I was about 10, I tried to check out some book, and I don't even remember what it was, but the librarian said, you can't have that book unless you have a note from your parents. And I went home and told my mother, and she said, are they going to do this every time that you want a book that's not you know, a children's book. I said, I guess they not. I guess they are. So she mm-hmm. wrote the librarian a letter that said, Colette can check out any book she wants, and it was one of the biggest favors my mother ever did me. You've been in this career for some time now, and you've been sort of watching Florida's literary scene over that time. How would you say the literary scene has evolved into what it is today? I think Florida writers have become more recognized. They used to be seen, and some of them still are, of course, but they used to be seen more as kind of regional writers. And now Florida, books about Florida and books by Florida authors have gained a much wider audience. For better or worse, Florida has this kind of place in popular culture uh, where people are interested in things that happen here, whether they're you know weird or for whatever reason. And, um, and so... There's more interest in in books. So I think it's expanded, basically, is the simplest way to put it. I wanted to ask you, just kind of looking ahead, beyond the summer, Colette, um, the Tampa Bay Times Festival of Reading, I think last year it was uh, online, right? Yeah, we've done it the last two years. We did a virtual festival. Um, Before that, we had been, for many years, we had been on the uh, USF St. Pete campus. We had been a large festival. We had about most years about 45 authors, and then we had to go to the virtual format, although that that actually went pretty well and people responded to it well. Mm -hmm. But this year we are going back to an in-person format, but it will be smaller on November 12th, and it will be at the Palladium Theater in St. Petersburg, which holds about 850 people uh, in its main stage, and we'll have we're still, I'm still recruiting authors and sorting all of that out, but we'll have six time slots across that day, which is a Saturday, and we'll have probably six to ten authors. We'll have a couple of panels and then some authors solo. And um, so it's smaller, um, but I hope people will um, be happy to get to meet authors in person again and get their books signed. Well, Colette Bancroft is the Copy Desk Chief and Book Editor at the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're discussing books about Florida and books by Florida authors. Up next, we'll check in with Alsace Valentine, co-owner of Tombolo Books in St. Petersburg. The conversation continues in just a moment. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're discussing books about Florida and books by Florida authors. Alsace Wallentine opened her independent bookstore in St. Petersburg just a few months before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Tombolo adapted by delivering books by bike and later allowing customers to book appointments to browse the shelves. 
Two years on, despite the looming threat of inflation and the escalating cost of living, Wellentine says business is good. People haven't stopped buying books. I spoke to her by Zoom as she sat at the back of Tombolo, surrounded by stacks of brand new titles. And a note, Tombolo is one of WUSF's sponsors. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be back with you all. Yes, indeed. Well, first of all, how's the economy treating you right now, Alsace? You know, we all know about the impact of higher gas prices on and inflation on groceries and the general cost of living. What does it mean for bookstores? Are people still buying books at a pretty good clip at the moment? They really are. And, you know, I'm nervous about next year with these uh, thoughts of a recession coming. But, you know, books are a fairly affordable, long term sort of entertainment. So we really haven't seen any decrease in shoppers. In fact, with the tourism here right now, we've just seen a steady increase ever since we opened. So People keep turning to books and sharing them with each other and finding all sorts of things here at the bookstore. When it comes to tourists, how do they find you? Is it word of mouth? Do they know about you before they walk in the doors? I ask that all the time, and it's usually simply I Google searched you. (laughs) Looked for an independent bookstore, and there you were. So that seems to be the way. And as far as locals go, it still predominantly seems to be word of mouth. We still have lots of people coming in saying, I've heard about you for so long. I've finally made it in. So we're happy that people are hearing about us. You talked with Florida Matters at the beginning of the pandemic about how you adapted by delivering books on bike. I wonder if you can share a little bit about what you did to survive in the early days and how you may have kept going as we've all changed and adapted. Yeah, well, we fortunately had a great website up and running, so people were able to continue to order books. We delivered them on bicycle in like a three-mile radius or something for a couple of months, which of course felt like a couple of years. It was a lot of work, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really fun and nice to be out on the streets when there weren't any cars there. And then we reopened the store little by little, just doing shopping by appointment. So it was like, you know, when you go to a hair salon, you make an appointment. So you had to make an appointment to come to the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so we were, um, you know, taking reservations. People had like 30 minute chunks of time to come in and it worked out really well. And people were very um, respectful of us asking that everyone wear masks back then. Now we're Ask, we're recommending it, but not requiring it as we once did. So yeah, we were able to continue business straight through and really not see a dip because when these crises happen, people turn to books. So it's been working out. It must be a bit tough though, kind of imposing that 30 minute deadline for a start because I mean, a bookstore of all places, you kind of want to spend some time there, right? Especially an independent bookstore because there aren't many around. So people, once they find them, are like, I'm going to spend like you could spend an entire half a day in there i'm sure if you wanted to yeah it, it was the most difficult thing was telling people your time is up <laughs> you have to leave there's people waiting at the door to come in but mm. fortunately that didn't last for too long and now we're just open every day um we open at 10 o'clock every day and people can stay as long as they want and they often do stay quite a while there's a lot to see we're a packed little space but we have a lot here and it's highly curated so um, pretty much everywhere you turn, you're going to find something interesting. So you mentioned that in a crisis, people turn to books. What were people buying during the pandemic? Were they 
buying a lot of fiction, a lot of self-help. Um, there was a bit of a craze for kind of baking and gardening and DIY. <laughs> so were you selling a lot of those kind of books? There was. There was a craze for baking. And then, of course, the baking books were all sold out and there was no paper and the printing uh, was delayed. So people had to move on. And <laughs> um, yes, the, a lot of escapist fiction. And then there was a small group of folks who wanted to read some dark, scary um sort of existential pandemic fiction mm -hmm. so there was that as well mm -hmm. in general is summertime your high season like are people looking to stock up on you know beach reading or, or vacation reading books generally um in florida summer is not the high season because so many locals get out of the heat mm -hmm. um, and so we did all this research before we opened about which months we expected to be busiest or slowest uh, summer was slow for bookstores that we interviewed but we have not seen us you know everything's different now we opened three months before the pandemic and so wow. um, none of our predictions we, we can't test our predictions against this particular reality because now we've got gas prices so mm. who knows um, what's going to happen with that but i'm hoping to do a little uh local florida tourism which i have not done yet since i moved here i've just really been in tampa bay mm -hmm. but i'm hoping to get out and do some driving this summer so let's just get back to the kind of foundation of tombolo books it really has an emphasis on florida authors why is that well um we do have an emphasis on Florida authors, although we are a general bookstore. We have a little of everything. Um, and in North Carolina, where I managed a bookstore, we learned that the, the the regional books were really important both to the people who lived there and to the people visiting. So we have a strong Florida fiction section, Florida nonfiction section, as well as poetry, travel, um, all sorts of things. And it's just a a steady selling part of the store for sure. So so did you realize when you were doing your research that there was a, a niche or an unmet need for a bookstore that focused on Florida writers? Well, not so much um, a need for focusing on Florida writers, but focusing on Florida writers coming for events and being able to have people come and meet them and spend time with them. Um, and hear firsthand and have a unique experience. So that is a big focus of our store is creating community and creating um, this space where people can come and experience looking for books together, discovering books together and meeting Florida authors and talking to them. What are people reading right now? Like what's, what's in demand? What, what are you stocking? Well, certainly Florida Hustle by Paul Wilborn. Paul is a uh, Tampa Bay native, and he's focusing on how everyone's hustling. It's a really zany sort of caper that goes into the Everglades. Um, it's set in the 1980s, which his favorite is Paul's favorite era to write in. Mm -hmm. And it's about a young man who wants to make horror films, and he is obsessed with a particular horror actress and he escapes from his wealthy family at home to try to go catch up with her and be part of this filming in the Everglades and it goes wildly wrong and it's just a lot of fun. So that's probably going to be the number one book of the second half of the year, I would think. I gotta say too, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but I love the cover of that. It looks kind of like one of those, you know, 
uh, Florida floors that you will see. In fact, this cover was actually designed by a local artist, Chad Mize. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I think of it as sort of a beach ball, a like really wild beach ball. <laughs> so another thing uh, people are reading a lot of right now is romance. Uh, romantic comedies. We just recently started a romance book club that meets on Sunday mornings once a month. So one that we have had probably a hundred pre-orders for already is a book coming out in August called Love in the Time of Serial Killers. Wow. (laughs) And this is a romantic comedy about a woman who is obsessed with reading true crime. In fact, she's writing her dissertation on true crime, but she's spending the summer in Florida the author's from Florida, and she is starting to get suspicious that her next-door neighbor, who's this attractive, put-together man, is actually a serial killer. The one I'm probably most excited about this summer from a Florida author is called Florida Woman. We always hear about Florida Man, but this is called Florida Woman, and it's a debut novel from a woman named Deb Rogers. Um, She lives in St. Augustine. And it is the story of a woman who has accidentally created, uh, um, accidentally um, committed some crime that she did not mean to commit, (laughs) but it's gone viral. And so she's suddenly famous and she's trying to escape that and also not have to go to uh, jail. So she ends up doing community service and she does it at a Florida wildlife center for exotic monkeys. Um, oh my goodness. And there's something, yeah, <laughs> there's something brewing. There's something strange about the three women who run the center. Um, and she is hearing tell of sacrifices and rituals, and she's not sure yet, but there she is escaping her uh, unwanted viral popularity. And she's at this uh, Florida Wildlife Center for Monkeys. So this one is supposed to be very funny, total page turner and it comes out later in the summer. You know, the funny thing about just hearing the um, the plot lines of some of these these fictional books is you think about it and you think, oh, that's a totally wild story. That could never happen in real life. But this is Florida, and a lot of these have kind of inspiration or at least kind of parallels between what's actually happening here in real life, right? Florida is such an interesting place. I, I come from Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania originally and then North Carolina, and I just love here how there are, pe- there's people from everywhere. Mm-hmm. And especially in the summertime, we have so many overseas tourists that it really feels like a global place. It feels like the Wild West in some ways. Um, and then we've got New Yorkers here, and I, I just love it. I just wanted to come back to I guess your impression of Florida literature, whether fiction or nonfiction, what was your impression of the state and its literary offerings before, and how did that change when she got here? One of the things I really wanted to do moving here was to highlight authors like Lauren Groff, who is up in Gainesville, um, some of the short story writers and novelists who aren't writing zany things, but are writing more about the human condition. And um, so Lauren Groff is one of them. Um, Kristen Arnett writes some pretty funny things. She's an excellent writer. She's from Orlando originally. So she's a novelist who we really like to highlight. She's also a hilarious speaker as well. Yeah, she's great. So, I mean, my big goal was finding 
the writers who aren't as mainstream, who are a little bit off the beaten path, whose voices need to be highlighted. Elsace is the co-owner of Tombolo Books in St. Petersburg. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate the chance to talk about books. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.